Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, December 20th, the day after the great Democratic debate. Uh, and I think Long-time listeners of the Ben Jarofsky Show probably can predict uh, who my guests are because we've made this sort of a ritual. Uh, after the debate, we do the cleanup of the debate. Uh, and uh, so my distinguished guests, I'll ask them to introduce themselves, starting with distinguished guest right here. Hi, it's Samina Mustafa. I am the host of a new podcast, Hand Her the Mic, um, Longtime. Uh, patron of the arts, Ben Jarofsky and Dennis, Dr. D. Uh, glad to be back. Distinguished guest number two. Hi, I'm Latisa Wallace, I'm former state representative, I'm former candidate for lieutenant governor. And today is our anniversary, Ben. That is correct. Two Aww. years yeah. ago today, I had my first interview yes. with Ben Jarofsky when he was with those other people. Yeah, the other people. I can't remember the name of the station, D. On yes. WCPT A20, they fired you. Oh, yeah, they fired me. They yeah, fired me being be too liberal, too lefty. Too left yeah. for progressive yeah. talk. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's bad, dang. Uh, so anyway, yes. Yeah, the, so, the C is for centrist. Yeah, the C is for ah, centrist. Centrist progress. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. That is good. No wonder she's got her own podcast, <laughs> eh? Right. Wait, time out. Right. So were you there? I cannot remember. So help me out, Latisa. Were you there as a candidate for lieutenant governor yes. or were you there as a state rep? As a candidate for lieutenant governor. That's okay. the first time we met. Was that because yeah. I know I was gonna book you. There was a person who told me to reach out to you. I don't want to give away secrets. It, yeah, I know who she is. Okay. Uh, she, she told you long before yes. you ever did. <laughs> she said, call. I, did, I told you this already then. She said, you got to talk to this. Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, by the time I got around to doing it, you were already a big shot. So anyway, you came on my show. <laughs> yeah. That was two years ago? Two years ago. <laughs> Time flies. Man, wow. Time flies. Wow. Well, uh, you're still on my show. And, uh, Thank you. Until I get fired again, you'll always be on my shows. Uh, all right. Uh, Leticia and Samina have become uh, regular correspondents uh, post-debate. Very popular segment, i got to tell you guys. You should ask for a raise. Um, I think I'll double your salaries. <laughs> Zero times two. <laughs> yeah. Samina, when and where can people... I was, oh, wait. I was a math lead. I'm just saying. I'm was, very good at math. Wait, when uh, and where can people uh, check your show out? So um, I'm on iTunes, and I'm also on a new platform called the Demcast Network. So uh, you can find wherever you find your podcasts. And we just came out with our second episode on Wednesday. 
So super cool, man. Dimcast Network. Yes. Cool, Ben. Let's try and get on there and see if you can get fired from that one. <laughs> That's correct. Oh man, the way I've been talking about Mayor Pete these days, I don't think I'll be any any anything with Dem in it. I'll be in trouble. Um, not, that's a Dems, whole lot. Dems and does. Yeah, Dems and does. All right, let's just start with some general uh, thoughts about last night's debate. It took place, of course, in uh, Los Angeles, California. They were, how many, I've lost track. i got to look. Seven members? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. <laughs> you know, uh, so, I mean, I went to uh, Evanston Township High School. I can count. Uh, impressive. <laughs> impressive. Seven uh, members. It's uh, down to seven. Of course, Lord knows, come January, there could be 20 with with the way things are going. Entries of late entries Yeah, the billionaires. Yeah. Like, isn't that funny how they leapfrog? Yeah. Uh, how is Tom Steyer still on that stage? Anyway, uh, general thoughts. We'll start with you, Samina. So I, we, we were talking a little bit before on air. I thought, one, I'm, I, I'm waiting for the time when there aren't any. This is just, it's a little bit overkill. Um, my overall impression was that there was a lot of beating up on Mayor Pete, which frankly, I was like, okay, I'm ready for it. Like, I, he needed to be checked. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, um, it's funny because the first headline I saw post-debate was, Biden won the debate from the Washington Post, which I was like, wait. And, and there was a part of me for a second that was like, wait, Biden was there? I mean, because he didn't say a whole lot, but because he didn't make any major mistakes, they're sort of like, he won it. Um, I'd say, you know, and we're going to talk about this, I know, but Amy Klobuchar got in a lot of uh, digs, but she also did something which is she complimented um, at least three of her fellow um, uh, candidates in a really powerful way, which I thought was actually really good. So overall, I thought the moderation was was not great. The sort of banter between segments was from the PBS analyst was terrible. Um, the PBS Politico news hour, uh, the PBS news hour and Politico folks, but um, the debate itself was it's just like it's it, these are getting to be a slog. They have to figure out some way to make them like a little bit more um, like people are being asked to like answer the question. Some candidates are and some are not. So it, I'll, I'll stop there. A little inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think especially with them down to seven people, there should have been opportunity for everyone to answer pretty much every question. I mean, it was a three-hour-long debate. <laughs> um, you would think that everyone's voice would have maybe been equally distributed um, across the time. I think that um, Yang came across very strong last night. He was able to call out things that um, probably others would have called out had they been there. And he specifically mentioned being the only candidate of color that was still on the stage. And I thought that that was very um, important for him to share, to say, and give his perspective. Um, So I thought he was a really uh, kind of a breakout person last night because before we've had too many candidates on the stage and he really couldn't get a good strike, get his voice out there and really uh, share what he needed to share. That being said, it it was true. Biden did have a relatively... (laughs) Good night. Um, he didn't ignore or forget any of the candidates on stage um, by saying, "Oh, Kamala." Yeah, yeah. Last yeah time that the was the on, incident yeah. with Kamala last time. Uh, of course, he and Bernie got into it. I thought that was uh, a pretty funny moment. Reminded me of my grandfather and his younger brother at like family outings. They'd get into it uh, over all these interesting, crazy things. Um, and that allowed Amy Klobuchar to kind of step up and seem like the, quote, adult mm-hmm. in the room for a moment, like, you know, simmer down boys, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So I think that this uh, debate had 
did give people more of an opportunity to express who they were and who, what their ideas are um, outside of those three front runners. But they still could have spent a little bit more time making sure everyone had an opportunity to answer the questions that everyone's waiting to hear answers from. All right. You guys gave me a lot to go with uh, follow ups. Uh, Amy Klobuchar uh, and uh, Andrew Yang. Uh, but let's deal with the uh, this uh, the Andrew uh, Yang issue about being the only person of color on the stage. And I'd loved I didn't tell you guys I didn't prep you with this. I'm throwing this at you uh, without any prep. Uh, one of our guests, I think it was Sergio, right? The, I don't know. One of our guests uh, was, oh, we were talking about, we've been talking about this a lot on the show, uh, why there are no uh, people of color other than Andrew Yang, no black people, it's generally how I look at the world, uh, uh, still on the stage. And you guys teased me because I was drinking that Kamala Kool-Aid. Did you send your donation? <laughs> yeah. No, I did. So the Sergio theory I think it's Sergio. Sergio, I don't want. I, I want to give credit to the person who came up with the theory. Follow me on this one. Is that uh, for a black person to make it to the next uh, to these rounds, uh, he or she has to be getting strong black support because white people will be reluctant to support a black person, and black voters follow. Are you follow me on this one? Are reluctant to go support a black person because the results of Obama were so disappointing. And so uh, that Barack Obama, while being a figure of great inspiration and pride and achievement uh, and symbolically very important, the payback for black America was so woeful and so disappointing uh, that black voters as a group are saying, all right, we're not going with the black person again. We're gonna go back to old white guy. This is not my theory. I can't. I think it was Sergio's because I want to try it out to Monroe the other day. Remember, D he goes, "Oh, that sounds, sounds stupid." That Sergio would say. Uh, so I'd love to get your reaction to this: uh, the issue of why there are no uh, uh, black uh, candidates on stage at this uh, stage of the of the election. Do you think there's some merit uh, to what Sergio has to say, Samina? Uh, well, as you know, I'm not black, <laughs> but I can't. This is what I will say. There, there is no monolithic black vote, right? Um, there are, there are, is a subset of voters who are black who feel like Obama didn't do what he set out to do, but other people who will say, well, he was the first black president, there was so much that was coming at him, and he did what he could. So there's a lot of different camps that are going to evaluate this. I think there's, I, I, there's a couple of different ways to phrase this, and I'm going to lean on my um, my uh, good doctor over here, but there's a sort of a psychological um, effect that I think voters, and not just black voters, are doing, which is like, um, and I think Mehdi Hassan put it this way, he's like, everyone's sort of playing pundit. They're all trying to figure out who is going to beat Trump, or who's electable, or who will Joe Sixpack in Ohio vote for, who's presumably a white guy, you know, middle class white guy and, or working class white guy in Ohio, who's he going to vote for? And guess what? He's going to vote for Trump. So like, I think there's a lot of people who are not realizing that it, it actually has more to do with name recognition. Joe Biden is just well known. It's not necessarily that he's um, like the best candidate and a lot can change after Iowa which is when I think that's like sitting here now, Obama didn't have um, a lot of black support, but I think once he won Iowa, people started to take a second look at it. Letitia. So uh, I'll pick up where you just left off. Um, I remember 
in 2007, being a young mom, putting my three-year-old on the bus to go up to Iowa and knock doors for um, who my son uh, referred to as Rock Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we went yeah. uh, with a stroller to knock on doors for Rock Obama. We were two of the three black people on the, bo- on the bus to go knock doors for him. So yeah, the, uh, the enthusiasm at the, the level of the average African-American family did not really kick off until there was this proof that there is possibly a path of success for this individual. I think in this, in this current race, I don't know if people saw that path um, present. When we have who we have as the president right now, you know, you say, yes, a black woman could go against him when we've seen that he's been able to get away with racist, xenophobic and sexist behavior, commentary, have an administration that actually is pushing agendas that are all of those things. It's hard for people to look at a black woman and say, yes, she could be the one to take out this individual who got elected despite him being against everything that she presents to the world. Um, Same thing if you're talking about a Cory Booker. I don't know how we get to a point where we have a racist president um, and we have to deal with middle America and rural America or or just if we want to stereotype, because I'm stereotyping right now, trying to figure out who that person would vote for, that, that average white Joe would vote for, it's not at this point a person of color. Um, but that being said, there's a real economic reason as well. Um, and Andrew Yang said this last night, in order to donate right. to campaigns, you have to have discretionary funds. Mm-hmm. And we're living in an America in which people are just barely getting by. You know, we say that there's less unemployment, but of course that's people working two and three part-time jobs to piece it all together to make it all work out. Who has forty, fifty, a hundred dollars to send to a candidate once, mm-hmm. let alone every month? Um, and I think this goes. I think it's a very economic reason. I don't think it's necessarily that we were so let down by uh, President Obama, so to speak. But the economic reality hasn't changed, no matter who's been in the White House for many Black families. Uh, yeah, all right, you hear that, Sergio? You've been trying, <laughs> slapped around twice. And I actually kind of think Sergio's on to something. Yeah, well, and I want to dovetail on what um, Leticia just said about what Andrew Yang uh, brought up, which is really important. Only 5% of folks um, actually give to political candidates. And there was something recently, I think Daily Beast published something, I saw the headline, which is um, for women candidates running for um, the House, um, black women raised half as uh, much as their white female counterparts. Mm-hmm. So like, we don't have as many data points at the presidential level, because we just haven't had as many, right. you know, um, uh, black and brown women running for president, but we have a few more data points there. So you, I mean, you're seeing, you know, kind of that trend line. And so you don't have, I remember when I was running, um, you know, I I remember talking to somebody somebody about uh, potentially thinking about running, and he said, you know, you, something you should know about our community is we don't give and we don't vote. And so, wow. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the, the reality mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a lot of communities, and it's not because uh, the it the the it's not even always that it's a capacity issue. It's a is this something we're engaged in? Is this 
do do candidates reach out to us? Mm-hmm. Like the amount of outreach that a candidate in I or a, a a citizen or a voter in Iowa and New Hampshire is getting, there are some communities that never get that attention. Yeah. Ever. Right? Well, well, Ever. Let's talk so about that. So that's a that's a that's a broader yeah. issue. Let's talk about that. Uh, I just saw before the show your tweet. Uh, about how if the Democrats wanted uh, b- black voters to have a greater say on who the nominee uh, was, they would not put two white states at the front of yeah. of the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's from Julian Castro. Julian Castro was saying that. Yeah. I just retweeted okay. what he said. All right, they give him the credit. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people who weren't on the stage yeah. uh, on uh, uh, Thursday. So uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that, he his... His absence was really felt. On. No, the fact that the Democrats think about this coming. They could, oh yeah, can't you rearrange the schedule? You yeah, could. You and, could and make that's, the South first. A lot of this and yeah, and that was actually his point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his point. Is that it's only been this way since the early seventies. It's not like it's been time anymore. Like this is, uh, this is where I think. Um, there's a. I think it's a combination of imagination, like like and and fear. And it's like that conversation you and I had about, you know, that uh, Democrats are always afraid to lead and afraid to take the power that they have. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a totally a, a longer conversation. But they could say, like, hey, this isn't this is not where our base is and this will not, you know, serve the needs of our electorate, you know, and really be forceful about this. But it's like uh Democrats want to have it both ways. They want to look like the party of diversity, yep. but they don't want to alienate. advocate. Yeah. yeah, they want. They don't want to alienate Joe. Yeah, Joe Sixpack. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Latisa, do you think that in today's day and age, uh, if the party is too closely identified with black voters, it will automatically alienate Joe Sixpack, <laughs> whoever he is, whoever he is. Um, if we're being very honest with ourselves, anti-blackness is real, is deep, it's to the core. Um, even this, something as simple as uh, movies, right? If the poster has too many characters who are black, then are other people really going to see the film? Yeah, they, they will go, but not in the same numbers as if it were a majority white cast on that on that poster. It becomes automatically, that's a black film. Well, it's the same no matter what. Um, even the seat that I formerly held, it there was never a black person in that seat until 2001. And now it's the black seat in that area. Even though the district is, the demographics of the district um, don't point to a majority of black residents or a majority of black voters. So it's like once something is deemed too black, people do step back from it. Um, that is just an uh, unfortunate reality. Um, I do think, however, if they were to switch how primaries were happening, then that would mean there'd have to be some real fundamental changes to the access to the right to vote in those states, because those southern states that we, we just kind of mentioned could be an example for where primaries could start because of the number of black residents and potentially black voters. I say potentially because in 2013, the Voting Rights Act was gutted. So some of those states aren't even having to worry about making sure they're gaining, um, providing real access to the ballot box. Um, and some really moved quickly to put barriers up mm-hmm. to remove voters from the rolls. But that's also an area, those states are also areas where individuals who get felonies do not have their voting rights returned to them. 
So there, you know, of, of course, the pushes in Georgia and Florida um, and, and pushes all over the country to reenfranchise individuals. But I think in Illinois, we forget that there are a lot of places that you don't ever vote again. So would it even still give uh, voice to black voters if we were to move in that direction? I think because of the structural and intentional racism, it still wouldn't work. Well, uh, when I thinking back what you're saying about going on the bus with your son back in 2007, I have such strong, vivid memories of, of Obama winning Iowa and the, and the impact that had on black voters in this country. Uh, by chance, I was on a bus uh, the day after Obama won uh, Iowa, and um, they were playing some uh, morning show, uh, a black morning show, and the hosts were having a field day with it. You know, all these white people voted for Barack Obama. We got to vote. And it was they were making a joke out of it, but it was very real. Mm-hmm. And I could just see things changing. And this is what I'm going to put to you, because you ran on a left to center, uh, essentially, ticket mm-hmm. with uh, young Daniel Biss for uh, governor uh, back in 2018. To me, the, the reason Barack Obama won Iowa in 2008 by the way, guys, feel free to vigorously disagree with me with what I'm about to say. The reason he won was because he was left of center on the war. He won because all those lefties in Iowa saw his, he wasn't a senator, so he didn't get vote on um, the Iraqi war, mm-hmm. but he appeared one rally, one anti-war. He was riding that horse all mm-hmm. the way. I don't, I'm not, it's not that I'm against all wars. I'm just against this war, man. But he played it. And a lot of lefties, and I know lefties, Latissa, really well, because that's where I come from. They're like, oh, yeah, he's the anti-war candidate. And Hillary Clinton voted for the war, and she's the pro-war candidate. And that, in my humble opinion, gave him Iowa. And none of these Dems, they hate almost as much as they're afraid of black people, they're afraid of lefties. And they, they think lefties are the kiss of death. And they were, the bizarre... So imagine being a black lefty. Oh uh, well, God. that's a whole other subject. What does Tiffany Haddish call herself a black unicorn? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I love Tiffany Haddish. Just had her uh, her uh, black mitzvah. Yes, but she um, did. anyway, so what's your thoughts on that, Samina? The fact that it was the left that put uh, uh, Barack Obama in, in Iowa, and then it was all uh, gravy for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely made him. There were so many things that were happening around that time that contributed to his success and his message breaking through. Not and and what we you know let's come back to um, what is going to happen in like less than two months. People on the ground, knocking doors, talking to people. His operation is like was something that was groundbreaking in terms of how much it motivated uh, young folks, people of color. Like it was, uh, they call it an Obama coalition that, you know, that everyone's trying to capture again because it was broad based and it brought out a lot of young voters. So uh, my, my concern with the crop of folks who are on the stage last night was that some of them, they're, they're all sort of, um, there's so many people running that someone like a Cory Booker, even a Kamala Harris could have had maybe a little bit more support and maybe state like Kamala Harris could have stayed a little bit longer if there weren't, you know, 10 other people, 15 other people competing for the, the dollars and the, the sound bites and the press. So, um, it, it, 
Obama didn't have to compete with that many people. There were <laughs> a lot of he, people running. When Obama ran, you were there. Was Iowa. it 25 people? Was it uh, 25? Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't 25. But that's what I'm saying. Was it 25 people and uh, several billionaires? Yeah. Uh, I said corrected. No. <laughs> I mean, like, even, even uh, was it Delaney? He's got at least $200 million. Yeah. Like, that Is guy's, he still in the race? I, th- I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still in the race Dennis, anymore. Uh, Dennis, Maybe Dennis could check. I'm really bad at uh, yeah. Dennis is checking his stock portfolio. Right there. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, that's, that's so many people. And so like. So there were advantages that Obama had uh, to that race that was working against Kamala. By the way, I just want to point out that I was the one drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid. I think both of you made fun of me. Write a check. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I knew it would be my fault sooner or it's later. It's your fault. Man. All right, I'm so sorry. talk about black lefties. Let's get into that one. Uh, this is a really, uh, this has been on my mind I lately. I almost feel like it's a, what do they call that? Um, I don't know. What do you when you say like a male nurse or like a. I don't know. Yeah, what's the, it's, what's it's the phrase. A contradiction I, in terms? Like an no, oxymoron? Yeah. Oxy, not even an oxymoron. I feel like it's like a, 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 you're, it's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, repetitious? Yes. Yeah. There you go. I'm sorry. It's been a rough day, you That's guys. All right. It's a um, redundancy. Redundant. Yes, it's yeah. very redundant, extremely redundant. In my estimation, when you, especially if you're talking about like economic issues, you're talking about, um, you know, economic justice, environmental justice, when you start to speak about living wages and access to health care, all of those things, I think saying like a black leftist is pretty redundant because people, and our communities have been fighting for these things for a very long time. It just took someone with white male privilege to be able to kind of center the energy around that and be able to speak about it and it be heard and not, you know, fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. But I, that's my personal no, opinion. That's a good I think point. I'm, you know, because I never even identified as quote progressive yeah. until 2017. I never yeah. labeled myself as that. I just knew that these are the things that needed to be fought for because it's just basic human, you know, basic things that make life comfortable, bearable in the richest country on the planet. Like, why do we have so many homeless people? Why do we have people? who work every single day, but still have to apply for public benefits such as Medicaid and SNAP and um, who can't even meet their energy bills, so they have to apply for LIHEAP. They couldn't go to work if they didn't have childcare assistance, yet they go to work 40, 50 hours a week and still can't get by. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. It's an issue we've seen in our community, in the African-American community for a very long time, and we've fought against that for a very long time. So I think saying black leftists is um, is pretty redundant, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think what's interesting is thinking about political discourse is so, um, you know, it can be so academic at times in a, in a way that's like, oh, you didn't say it quite the way it's supposed to be said, or you're like, there's a little bit of like a know-it-all attitude and, and not to say like people aren't well-read and they don't know this stuff, but it's like, make it relate to what, you know, what's going on with me. Like, I mean, I, I, when I would talk to folks, it didn't matter their sort of education level. They're just, everybody kind of wants to know what's, what's in it for me. Don't like, don't lecture me. (laughs) Don't talk to me about like stuff that's like, you know, 
just to make yourself look look smart. That's kind of Pete Buttigieg's whole brand, right? That's his whole brand. <laughs> but one other thing that when Letizia was speaking, I was remembering a, an essay that Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote, and it was in the Atlantic, and I think it was, I might have been at the very end of Obama's presidency or right after. It was called My President Was Black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, one, and, and, and there was one point that I remember really struck me was that he was saying how, you know, Obama's you know, mother and grandparents were white. And that he, uh, and, and this was again, Ta-Nehisi Coates sort of like saying like, why did he, why was he able to go to Iowa? Why was he able to, to engage yeah. a white folks? Well, having the ability to have that social capital of being in a family where you learn things that I'm probably not gonna learn. Right. I, I don't have access to that language, that currency, that the, the type of interactions that, and I don't mean like, Mon- monetary currency, but or even like the academic, to, or even the I- ideas. Yeah, it's just like what the it comfort. takes to be able to speak right. in certain circles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that. Well, I get I I'm listening to you. Although by now, Latissa, y- you've been in those rooms enough, so you have the confidence. You were the lieutenant gubernatorial candidate. You were a state rep. You stood up. You had to deal with Republicans. Uh, we used to talk, when you come on the show, we talk about some of those insane debates the Republicans would throw at you. Cra- yeah, it's crackers okay. and applesauce. Sorry. We're overfeeding the kids. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, your point's well taken. Now we're on a tangent with the tangent. This is why I'm always promoting integration. Y- you know, you got to be able to deal with those different rooms. And it's a problem more for black people because those are white rooms, so to speak, in quotes. And, and, we're and so shut you, out of them. Yeah, you're yeah. shut out of them. Uh, and, and just in my life experience, black people are a hell of a lot more tolerant than white people about letting you in. Uh, oh, wait, who's calling me? <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, so Barack Obama had an advantage because he was already in the room, so to speak. And also, I mean, I think. Most folks can relate to this. You, there's a, a amount of code switching that goes mm-hmm. on. You do. It's not that you know. Latisa is isn't saying that she couldn't do it. It's just that you know, you know, you didn't have white grandparents. You didn't have a white mom. Right. Like it makes it. There's something different, right? So like even in that story that Don Easy Coates wrote, he's like, you know, when he when Obama walked into those Iowa family rooms or, or living rooms and he saw like the the plastic on the couch, it's like his grandma's house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, there was a difference. But that being said, you know, and you've asked us this question, you know, will, you know, will, <laughs> will there be a gay president before a woman president or like some of these, there's some of these barriers that we, that showed up on stage and some of them are, are still realities right. for candidates at, uh, whether it's at the presidential level or, or, or down ballot. All right, let's get to the woman barriers, but I just want to say one thing to, uh, uh, to the point you were making, Leticia, before we move on. Uh, left uh, black lefties. That's great. It's redundant. I'm gonna steal that line, uh, and because it's pretty much lost to history. Only old timers like me remember this. Jesse Lewis Jackson in 1988 ran for president, came in second. His platform was Bernie before Bernie. Absolutely. My hero, Harold Washington, was Bernie before Bernie. Absolutely. Right. The great champions of politics from Black Chicago were lefties. Or think and, of a Shirley Chisholm who had the nerve, right? Talk about audacity, right? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about audacity and nerve. And I'm going to walk my itty bitty self into this room and say, I want to be the next president. But what, of the what did Obama States. do, though? What did Obama do? He went the other way, he went to the center. 
So with Jesse Lewis Jackson ran in 1988, and I mean, he didn't have any of the advantages that uh, Barack Obama had, and he was not embraced by the center of the Democrat. He ran from the left, Jesse Lewis Jackson. Uh, Barack Obama made a conscious decision to go to the center. He always made it clear that he was different than people on the left. He he would and he's kind continuing of, to yes, do that. Yes, he is. <laughs> and, and who Throwing is he Bernie under a bus? To do that. <laughs> and who is he fundamentally attacking when he says those things about the woke people mm-hmm. or the cancel culture? Yeah. Who is he fundamentally attacking? He's attacking black folks and really black Very women, young vocal, yeah, black people, black black. Uh, female and gender non-conforming folks, activists who are saying, you know, are starting things like Black Lives Matter, Asada's Daughters, BYP 100, like that's who he's attacking. Let's be clear. And so these are are folks who probably maybe were old enough to vote in 2008 and, and, you know, maybe 2016 was their first election, but they know what's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know what's up with, with Obama. So like maybe in like in Sergio world, the, like that makes sense. Yeah, but that theory would make sense. Sergio, yeah, to that. Maybe, <laughs> you know what? I, I just want to say this. And Sergio is probably I hope listening. It was him. I uh, don't know if it was Sergio. Attributing. I'm just want to say Monroe said it was sounded something like Sergio would say. So Sergio's going to get credit. But it was someone. And I thought it was very insightful comment and so i always like to give credit to the person who comes up with it uh you know unless i tell you to your face i'm just going to steal your line uh but i think it was sergio anyway all right barriers to women and i read something that was pretty interesting uh about the debate uh so follow me on this one if i could do this um that concluding question which was kind of a frivolous question uh by uh, judy woodruff which was uh, what um, was like? Who do you forgive, and what gifts what would you gifts? give? And the some very, I gotta give it some perceptive writer. I, I don't remember who it was. Pointed out that there were uh, seven candidates on stage, five men, two women. The five men all talked about their books and like, uh, you know, pushing their books. Essentially, taking the opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, sell some books, and they didn't forgive for anything. The two women forgave. Yeah, they asked for forgiveness. Yeah, for yeah. I, my bad. They yeah. asked for forgiveness. So Klobuchar and Warren. The Warren said, "I want to." She had just been in this fight with Buttigieg, so she was sort of like apologizing for going strong, uh, and totally just legitimate, in my humble opinion. Uh, and then Amy Klobuchar, who I'm starting to drink that Amy Kool Aid, but see some. But mm-mm. did you write a check? <laughs> no, I did not write a check. Okay, uh, but <laughs> uh, man, uh, so. And she apologized for being blunt. So what's your thoughts on that one? We're always apologizing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We're always apologizing. And I think it's what people expect. It it falls within the line of traditional gender roles. You're not supposed to be too blunt. You can't be too aggressive. Well, if you're too assertive, you're too aggressive. You can't... um, Yeah, you just shouldn't offend the men. You shouldn't, you know, do anything that's not, quote, ladylike. Those things continue to permeate, even if it's not as overt as it it used to be. And I believe that that was why it was so interesting that, you know, the women were the ones who decided to say, please forgive me for not being ladylike. I mean, they may as well have kind of said that. But I think if, if they hadn't, 
the headlines would be very different today about how they stood up for themselves and how they were assertive. That might have actually mitigated some negative headlines. So you're always walking that line as as a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't. Um, I'm not. I, I was struck by the fact that it was it was a question asked by, you know, kind of a older white woman by Jody Woodruff herself. Like, so she kind of set up a question that, you know, probably is something she herself has faced, you know, as a, as a, a woman in, um, in journalism. But I, I, I was really disappointed with Warren's response. Like, I just thought like, and then when Klobuchar did the exact same thing, I was like, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I mean, I know it, I understand yeah. it. Um, and, and really, if you could summarize that response, it was the men said, the women said, forgive me. And the men said, I'm the gift. <laughs> That's basically what it was. Like, Whoa. I'm the gift. Yeah, buy my book, my three I'm, or four books. I am, a, yeah. my, my mere existence is a gift to you. You're welcome. That's what it was. And it's the, 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 I the go narcissism. Off into a spiritual, like, deep yeah. dive on that, but I won't. <laughs> the narcissism. <laughs> deep dive. The narcissism that it took to say that. But, you know, it, it, but that's. But it started it, with young Andrew, I might add. He was yeah. the first one. He had the question first. And he goes, but well, it, I got a book. Yeah. But, but, it, but it was interesting, actually, how he even set it up. He was flattered that Elizabeth was had started his book. So it was even he sort of caged it. His, his wasn't as bold as some of the others. His was still like he had softened it a little bit, but it still was, you know. Well, he, like, what he did was that we're, we're analyzing this, uh, the, the reaction to this question. What he did was he was the first guy who had the question. So yeah, I know. He was, laughed. He, he was laughed. uncomfortable. He was like, dang, this question is weird. I don't know. I, know. I, I did not prep for this. Right. And Judy Woodruff was like, huh, huh, I got a question in that you didn't prep for. And so he was like, habit, habit, I don't know how I'm going to answer it. And so then as a joke, he right. said, read my book. And then the others, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Took but, it as a cue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's But that says more about who they really are. I mean, like, I mean, that the questions like this are either, you know, just fill the time or just waste time. Um, or they kind of reveal more about their personality. And I, you know, when I think about the overall debate, it is too bad that, that Klobuchar and Warren decided to do the apologies because I felt like their willingness to kind of get into it and really like, you know, lock horns with specifically with Mayor Pete, was, uh, that was actually the best part of the debate. <laughs> that actually was like, okay, let's let, let's get into it. Like, yeah. what do we stand for as a party? Uh, what do we believe in? What are we going to fight for? Yeah, right. that in all of these debates, in the last two especially, uh, Leticia, the, the format they have where they allow for candidates to just break off and spar or have always produced, in my humble opinion, the best moments. In the last debate, it was Tulsi. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll get into Tulsi. Ramada pretty much did a, a, a That white suit getting, was getting a workout, that uh, white suit. Tulsi went at it with Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> right, remember yeah. the last debate. And then uh, last night, so you got these, and then they go, well, you mentioned my name, so I get to talk. I know, and I know. like, oh, they're going at it. Like, yeah, man, let them talk. Uh, uh, and uh, I really thought uh, Amy Klobuchar, get your thoughts on this, Latisa. I thought she did herself justice in her uh, exchange with Mayor Pete. Uh, and she leapfrogged to third on my uh, ranking of candidates that I like, which I will reveal. I know you guys are going to keep yours close to, you know, you're not going to say who you're for, but. She's now number I three. Did. Oh. oh, you did on the show the last time, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I did. But I, I do think that um, her ability to like really describe what the experience of public service means and the things that you can move when you are really trying to be a servant to the people and having the experience of doing that at multiple levels, I thought that was so important. I'm so glad that she was able to draw that contrast because it goes back to what we were saying last time about how if a woman had the same resume as Pete Buttigieg, it would not be, she wouldn't be on the national stage right now. She just wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for her to be able to talk about the fact that in every level that she's served in, she's been able to accomplish things for the people that she represents and draw that really strong contrast was extremely important. So yeah, she shouldn't have apologized for her, for, um, distinguishing herself and really highlighting her experience. I mean, what are they there for? They're there to make the case right. that they're the they're the right mm-hmm. person, that they're the one who can make those tough decisions and not back down. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your audition. Well, I, I got to tell you guys, I'm going to throw something out to you. I'd love to get your reaction. Listening to you talk uh, and uh, talking about how... With my reindeer. Uh, <laughs> wait, we just put the reindeer thing on. I love the reindeer <laughs> thing. Uh Latisse is feeling very, uh, the Christmas spirit, she's got this reindeer uh, thing. All right. When you were talking about how um, the the women uh, on the stage felt compelled to uh, ask for forgiveness and the men uh, felt, felt the uh, empowered uh, to proclaim themselves as gifts, that's very well done. I was thinking there is a model of a woman who doesn't back down. A woman who's just unapologetically assertive and doesn't care, let the chips fall where they may, and the crowds cheer her on. She's just not on the lefty side of the plate. She's just not on the Democratic side of the plate. Her name is Sarah Palin. What? And Sarah Palin, it's once again, Republicans are unafraid to throw away convention They're in a way that Democrats are so tied down to convention. Democrats are so afraid to let their right? inner freak flag fly. Sarah Palin was unafraid to like her dysfunctional family, bring them all out, you know, and I'm proud of it, you know, and you, you hit me, I hit you back. I didn't like she Sarah Palin. She wasn't proud of it though. She wasn't proud of her dysfunctional family? It had family. to come out first and then it was, I have to defend myself. Um, since this information has come out to the broader public. But remember, Palin was... Come on now, Ben. I'm not saying I like her. <laughs> oh, my god! I would never vote for her. I'm I know, just saying Sarah but, Palin. But think about what also was happening. We thought that Hillary Clinton might emerge. Who... Emerges what? I mean, there was there. Oh no! Well, this was after the primary, so yeah. I misspoke. But the thought is that the women didn't get their Democratic nominee. So maybe we can, you know, because the women aren't that smart anyway. We'll put a woman on our ticket and maybe she'll draw some of those votes over to us. Like, it wasn't that Sarah Palin was so unapologetic and was so... I'll put it to you this whatever. way. When, uh, we talked about this a lot last week on the show, uh, Hillary Clinton's appearance on the Howard Stern Show. That was a big topic of conversation on our show. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But one of the things, uh, uh, God, I went on and on about it. I was obsessed with that one. Uh, But one of the things that they talked about was when Hillary Clinton was in the debate with Donald Trump, 
and Donald Trump moved into her space. Right, mm-hmm. I remember that. And did you remember when it happened? I, I don't know if you heard her it. talk about with Howard Stern. No, I did. I no, didn't hear I didn't her. see that interview, okay. but right. I heard that interview. I'm doing my best to paraphrase her response. Howard said, "You know, why did why did you re- not respond to that?" And she said that she felt that if she responded. Uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a manner that showed she was offended by that, to turn around and, and to assert her right to her space, that she would have been written off as an aggressive woman and it would uh, come back to hurt her. Now, I think Sarah Palin would have turned around and said, get out of my space. I, I think Sarah Palin would have said, get her out, and because Republicans aren't tied to the same conventions that Democrats. Democrats pretend as though it's legit and we're all playing by the rules and we're all responsible and respectable. And Donald Trump tweets out whatever he wants to tweet, insults whoever he wants to insult. Samina's shaking her head, go. So here's the thing. So let's be clear, Sarah Palin essentially, um, you know, set the stage for Donald Trump, right? Yes, she did. but the, the interesting thing about Donald Trump is remember, even establishment Republicans didn't really know what to make of him. And he wasn't their pick, right? It was Jeb Bush. And, it, you know, they didn't like Paul Ryan. I mean, you saw the sort of response of the Republican establishment to Donald Trump. But when they realized they could get what they wanted with Donald Trump, they're, then they'll defend him till, till their deaths. So, it's when they realized they could control some things about him um, and certain uh, points, like in terms of agendas that serve their their base and really, frankly, their donors. Then they they were like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna back this guy. Sarah Palin, frankly, um, didn't have the same. Hmm, she wasn't as she frankly wasn't as captivating. She definitely got folks animated and she, you know, had a, a a moment, but she just couldn't sustain it. I mean, she when she really was to Latisa's point, when you really started to scrutinize her and she she didn't hold up that well. Mm-hmm. Um and her narrative wasn't as strong. And so Donald Trump has has really navigated this path and and in a way been that you know, sort of unicorn on the right. He does things that nobody else can get away mm-hmm. with. And so I think Democrats thinking like, oh, we need our own sort of 70-something <laughs> cranky, gaff-prone, handsy. Yeah. It's not necessarily going to work, okay? And so uh, it's funny because I know that at some point during the debate towards the end, um, I think it was actually, I'm, I'm trying to remember which uh, response, which question it was a response to, but it was when uh, Biden actually started saying that someone came up to him and, and, and I, I actually didn't know about Biden's history of stuttering. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he started to stutter. And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted, essentially was obviously poking fun at, at Biden, Biden's stutter. Mm-hmm. And she was, she had to, uh, you know, apologize and took it down. She didn't because she claims she didn't know about the stutter, which is it's well, it's positive. This very in depth interview about doing it, but, but again, yeah. but I, let's just let's just take her at her word. But the fact that she actually apologized and deleted, which doesn't happen very often, 
some people made that to seem like, oh, Biden's the only one where they would do that. I'm like, no, I don't know if that's true. Wait, wait, they don't know. The, 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 like, so, sort of like the, the pundit class was saying like, oh, if Biden, if Biden can get Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Sanders like one of these like crazy, you know, talking mm-hmm. heads on the right to like back off and apologize, like that bodes well for how he'll do in the general. And I'm just like, I wouldn't necessarily make everything like don't interpret this one incident mm-hmm. as meaning everything because it's like biden didn't like you know you know throw up or something or do something like crazy mm-hmm. on stage but he wasn't exceptional either and and one thing we never got to is the fact that when he was asked specifically about reparations now this is a candidate who is you know is is talking all this you know like oh i've got the most black support didn't answer the question. Sure didn't. Mm-hmm. didn't answer the question at all. And none of the moderators called him on mm-hmm. it, even though they called Burning almost every out. single. Yep. Yeah, they called Bernie out. They called the other. Uh, mm-hmm. They uh, called Elizabeth out. They even called Mayor Pete out. Yeah, didn't call Biden out for not answering the question. Uh, Latisa, you were shaking your head passionately when I was raising uh, the Sarah Palin uh, example. I just wanted you to get a, your opportunity to get those thoughts out. I, I don't even know what to say about her. I. <laughs> Let me ask you this. It was if an you interesting were, time, is all I can uh, say. <laughs> was there a lieutenant? I just can't remember. Was there a lieutenant governor's debate? There were, yeah, there was one at uh, UIC, and there was an inadvertent face-off between um, Stratton and I, because no one else made it. Okay. Uh, wow. I w- wish I had been at that one. All right. Uh, so We got the endorsement for the Galesburg area. Okay. After that debate. Uh, Wallace throws down a little. <laughs> Take that, Julianne. I also had a moment to be on the, um, I had a moment with uh, Governor Pritzker as well. Uh, All right. So what would you have done? Uh, I mean, it's I know it's Monday morning quarterback is easy, but uh, let's say you were Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald John Trump just boldly, blatantly violated all the protocols of debate and courtesy and stepped into your space and just hovered around you, moving around as a distraction? I'm not sure what I would do in the debate moment um, on the campaign trail. I'll share a story from the floor, though. I just called it out into the mic. I mean, there was someone who decided that they were going to kind of talk to me as I was speaking uh, to a bill. I'm presenting one of my own bills. And I just said, you know, people should not talk to members while they're pr- trying to present legislation. And it's it's funny because when we speak into the mic, when you speak into the mic on the floor, the recording only hears your voice. They don't know that there's someone speaking to you. They don't know you're replying to that person. But I felt that I was being very disrespected by this particular um, white male member who thought it was funny to, you know, interrupt me as I was presenting a bill. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have hurt uh, Hillary Clinton had she turned around and said, Donald, please go to your side of the ta- uh, stage? It, it probably would have. I mean, I, I, toward the end of my time in Springfield, I was known as difficult. Difficult. Because, of course, black women are angry and difficult. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I think And that, women are difficult if you ask right. too many questions or assert yourself too much. Mm-hmm. You know, depending, I can't remember which debate it was, but I do remember seeing that happen. And I do remember, you know, hearing things like, oh, she's just a nasty, nasty woman. And then that became like its own meme and Mm -hmm. T-shirts and whatever. You know, and I think it would would have probably been something that would have animated people who 
are were supporting Clinton or likely to support her if she had said something. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think there's always this, I'm afraid to, going back to the debate, I'm afraid to appear too strong mm-hmm. or too bold or too whatever. And it's, it's, it's unfortunately something that is like, across the board on the party is like, we're afraid to upset this yeah. mythical creature that is gonna never vote for us anyway. <laughs> no. Right, no. but let's talk about that fear yeah. though, because it's not just fear as a party, since we're talking about gender, even when you muster up the strength to break through all these barriers, there is still a fear that exists um, with being a woman. There is you still feel intimidated at times. Um, so I know that she might have said that she was fearful of coming across as aggressive. Um, I think people who've survived various forms of violence, I don't know what her history is. Again, I've kind of been open about my own life and my history. I think someone coming in my space like that, internally I would have shut down. Like, wait yeah. a minute, you're too close. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And I think women often still have to operate um, from this point of I'm physically not able probably to take this person on because no matter what, we still have that instinctual fight or flight thing happens. It it just it doesn't go away and it's protected us for millions of years as human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that women still operate from a place of fear, um, whether it's, you know, fear of being perceived a certain way or actual fear in those particular situations where someone is in your personal space. By the way, uh, Howard Stern, I'm getting credit for this, what a memory he had. He pointed out that it had happened to uh, Hillary Clinton in uh, previously, when she was running for Senate in New York in 2000, uh, it was a debate against the Republican whose name has escaped me. He he wanted her to sign some, you know, one of those uh, hoax, uh, campaign hoax things like a pledge mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it was it was like a no tax pledge or something so are you going to sign this pledge are you're and he walked over from his podium to her podium and put the pledge to her and there's a picture of him standing at her podium and she just ignored him but it's like because our space is yeah we can be violated yeah literally or figuratively there are some people who just feel because and in this again is not necessarily conscious. This is maybe some subconscious stuff going on, right? But I am a man. I can assert myself. I'm going to be a man in this situation. And I've never had to question, do I come across as too forceful or um, too aggressive? So I'm going to go in her space and put this pledge in her face. Or I'm going to walk into her circle of personal space and, and feel like I have the right to be there. That's male privilege well speaking of male privilege and assertive males uh i'm throwing this question out uh, to another uh, regular guest in the show who'll be on in a couple weeks heidi henry heartland mamas she has her own podcast the heartland mamas and uh whenever i have bernie bros on the show and i have a lot of bernie bros coming through the studio <laughs> she sends me texts going i can't take another bernie bro <laughs> Uh, Heidi, you know I love you. I can't take another Bernie bro. And she talks about Bernie bros, how insulting they are to women, how um, how much contempt they showed for Hillary Clinton that was just beyond the, the contempt they had, like, say, for Trump. 
and how they don't recognize their own misogyny. Heidi, I hope I'm doing a good job of paraphrasing what you're saying. You're coming on in a couple of weeks. You could say it yourself. But is that your uh, response as well, Samita, to Bernie Bros? Well, let me let me put it this way. I, I think um, the, the misogyny is not unique to one candidate supporters. It's everywhere. Um, you know, when Kamala Harris uh, announced that she was dropping out, I shared something on my page uh, about her, the fact that her candidacy was still significant. And I, it was like several men and one man of color was mostly white men. One man of color said, well, and they still need it. They still need to be like, but she said she was a cop, but she said this and she's terrible. And one guy actually said something like, well, you know, she slept her way into politics. Mm-hmm. So even when, so um, you know, even when she's already said I'm out, they felt the need to hit at her. That's just, that's just as a that, person and not yeah, as a person, as a person, as mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I don't actually know which candidates they support. I just know that they felt perfectly comfortable attacking her as a woman, even though she was like, I'm done, I'm out. And so that is something that um, I've, I've, <laughs> I've done some analysis of my own run, and I, my sense is that my own experiences is that it was typically white men uh, but not all, but not all white men, um, who would attack me for my identity. So if I was Muslim, woman, you know, a person of color. And so, like, there was always something about my, like, they, they felt like it was fair game. Mm-hmm. And so, th- I, I don't know what to say, but we're like, this is just, this is not unique to Bernie, like, Bernie supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of, I'm sure, Mayor Pete supporters who are, you know, like, it's, coming at women like there is this assumption that somehow men men are still at the center congress is you know not even 24 percent women mm. right i mean this is across board and even at the state level local level it's only 25 percent. this is not unique to like one person supporters but the question is are you are you sort of like going back to the kamala as a cop Lori as a cop are you more willing to judge women and attack women for not being pure or not being, you know, having some ideology? And like we've said before, if those black women had the same politics as some of the progressives, they would never be elected because no one would support them. Well, all right, before we, I turn to Leticia for her thoughts on this, I just want to tell people uh, the, the election that Samina was alluding to, she ran for Congress in 2018 in the Democratic primary against Mike Quigley in the 5th Congressional District. Okay, your thoughts. <laughs> Everything that she just said. <laughs> Everything she just said. <laughs> I'm like, no, here I am apologizing. I'm sorry, <laughs> Leticia, I should have let you speak. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> but yeah. um, I also have seen that um, in when... I've seen candidates of color mm-hmm. be attacked more as well um, right. for not being pure. So there's uh, this, when we talk about Bernie bros, let's be clear about who we're, we're talking about. Again, it's not just male privilege, it's typically white male privilege. Right. And the ability to assert what you think about something and just put it out there and people should just take it. 
I recall last year speaking at an event um, for, it was a, a, an event in honor of Bernie Sanders' birthday. It was kind of a fundraiser for a local organization. Um, I can't remember which group. So sorry, you guys, if you're listening. I was the only woman of color in the room. And I was the only person who, when she spoke, was interrupted. Like, almost correct it because I used um, the term white privilege and I talked about um, being able to go into neighborhoods that you may feel uncomfortable in and why aren't we widening the net? Why aren't we bringing people in? Because as we said earlier, so many of the messages um, around progressivism and the things that Bernie ran on are things that truly appeal to communities of color. But somehow... They're not coming to a Bernie Sanders dinner in honor of his birthday in, I think, King County. I'm not, I can't remember. Um, but as I was speaking, at least two people felt that they could interject um, as I spoke, but they did not do that. Daniel was there that night. This is after the campaigns. This is after the primary. Um, several other local candidates were there that night. They didn't interrupt anybody else but me. So there is something about being a woman and certainly something about being black. And heaven forbid, if you happen to possess both those identities (laughs) in which people believe that what you have to say is not that valuable. um, We don't really need to listen to you. And I'm not going to give you the same respect and deference that I gave to the other speakers who were in this same space where I I have something to say that I disagree with. Um, with you, um, as you're speaking, you're saying something I disagree with. And so I'm going to say it right now, mm-hmm. instead of waiting, waiting until there's an opportunity to speak or, or take questions or anything like that. Well, uh, if, if following up on that, uh, how, what was your reaction to the way Bernie at the debate last night, uh, handled the race question? And, uh, just to, if people that missed the debate, uh, the question posed to him uh, had to do with the fact that there were there was only uh, one person of color on the stage, uh, and there were no black people on the stage. Mm-hmm. And that's my generational thing. I, I make I'm confessor. okay with saying black. I mean, okay. I'm fine with no, that. No, no, no. If you're no, talking no, no. about no, black no. people, that, say black people. Yeah, no, no, no. But if that's you're not talking generally. <laughs> but uh, what my my focus, and people call me out for this, is that I always view the world in black and white. That's how I was raised. It's generational thing. It was like I was late to realize like. This is so confession time. There were other races, groups. other people. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, isn't everybody like an ethnic? Right. But I just, you're like Italian to me. <laughs> and it was, I'm sorry. That's how, you know, it's like. Tell that to uh, airport security. Yeah, well, oh, things have changed since I was a kid at <laughs> yeah, Nichols Junior High. But in, in the little world where I first encountered right. different people, right. like Indian kids were like Jewish kids. Yeah. I mean, I. When I saw, I was telling Romana this, when I saw The Farewell, which I don't know if you guys have seen, it's an unbelievably great movie. It's about a Chinese-American family. I'm like, that's like every Jewish family I've ever seen. They're just Chinese. Mm-hmm. My big fat Greek wedding is my family. Y- yeah, so <laughs> so anyway, so there's no black people on the stage is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they asked Bernie that. And how? What you? And then he kind of ducked and dodged. Well, I want to go back to the last. Into climate change. He wanted to go back to climate change. Yeah. So, how do you think he handled his his? uh, I think he cleaned it up well at the end. Um, I think maybe if he had been allowed to say what he was saying without being interrupted. To your point of how certain people were 
redirected to the question and one person never was redirected to answer the question. I think if it had flowed out without that interruption, it might not have seemed as bad. But when he started to talk about climate change and then the moderator interrupted and said, we're talking about race, mm-hmm. um, but he's he was trying to come back to the point of environmental justice and where do we have so many areas of uh, poor air quality and so many children with asthma, so many people suffering from various forms of cancer? Um, where are these toxic things being dumped? It's in lower income neighborhoods where people are not resourced and not able to organize. And unfortunately, because of how race and economics are tied, that means a good chunk of black people live in areas in which climate change and just you know awful environmental issues are pressing on them every single day. Um, could it have come across um, a, a lot more eloquently? Definitely. And I think he probably should have just started with something like saying environmental justice or saying how um, climate change impacts these communities. Like what he said at the end, he should have said at the beginning. But the moderator maybe should have just let him get it out. Yeah, but this was definitely, the the moderator wanted to push that point, right? Um, But but it could have just been one sentence. Like that's an excellent question and it makes me actually like, race is an important factor in all of these conversations in terms of economic justice and climate justice is no exception. Like Mm -hmm. that would have been the way to like sort of take it, take, um, take some control. And I think what happened was a lot of the moderators are kind of like, I'm going to poke at you. I'm going to poke at you. I'm going to leave you alone and poke at you. So, but I think there's also, I think, um, some history that Bernie has not always responded great. It's like in interviews, there's enough interviews where Bernie has sort of stumbled on this issue. So I think, um, if I was, if I was doing debate prep (laughs) with Bernie, I would have been like, if you get asked a question about race, just lean in, have a, be ready for that, that question and be ready to respond to it directly. Uh, D, by the way, can we play that? We have this burning clip. It's funny you should say that. Dennis played this for, for me before we went on the show. It's where is it from a Washington Post interview? I think this was actually though the first time they really allowed him to answer a race question head on though. Uh, at that debate. In the debate, yeah, okay. because at the other two debates they didn't. All right, sh- check out this. This is oh, also John Delaney still in the race. There you go. See, <laughs> oh he's got at least two hundred million. I forgot his first name was John. <laughs> at least at least two million dollars. Here we go. Two hundred million. Come on, maybe. Hold on. Here we go. We'll definitely edit this part out. Of <laughs> where's that? Where's that like dramatic music? Come on, it's like dun, buffering. Dun, dun. Yeah, come on, it's buffering. The buffering noise. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, he's taking his do a little. Uh, uh, should I stall while you're doing that? Hold on. They'll probably play an ad now. Here we go. Yeah. Watch this. Ooh. Here we go. Why well, this is awkward, huh? <laughs> doing it. All right, skip ads. Okay. All right. Uh, All right, and then I got to fast forward here. All right, we're, we're almost done with this interview anyway, but this is, I just would love to get your guys' reaction to this are one. Are we live now, or are we just taping? Uh, oh, we're live. <laughs> we're live. We're live. Welcome, oh. welcome to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, yeah, it's like buffering. Right. Uh, it's, it's, uh, what, maybe next time. I've dropped the ball like four uh, times. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's, uh, okay. it's but it's, We're going to have to take that race uh, we gave you uh, last man. time back. I'm sorry. But it's Bernie, Bernie Sanders being... Um, 
uh, hit heart, head on with the, the race question, and his response is pretty funny. Uh, I will say this. I believe you. you oh, that I'm white. Like, I'm. Was it the question about. Oh, the woman. He's like, yeah. When they were talking about women in office. It was Obama. And I'm white. It was the Obama quote. All right, we're going to close with that. Um, uh, no, this was an interview with the Washington Post. Okay, something that, else. Uh, and you can listen to it if you really want to get full Bernie. Uh, this is Bernie at all his Berniness. Uh, it's just blunt and out there and being Bernie. Uh, and uh, he calls this this reporter out pretty good. All right, uh, we'll close with Barack Obama and what I perceive as uh, a very anti-Bernie bias. And each feel again, feel free to vigorously disagree with me. I see Barack Obama symbolic of the centrist Democrats in general cannot tolerate Bernie Sanders. No, and. We've been talking about the biases against women and the biases against uh, candidates of color. Uh, and But the bias against Bernie Sanders is it's, its so own real. unique thing. And I believe it's because he embarrasses them. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's been preaching the same message to for the night since the 1960s and been ignored by the Democratic Party who say you can't preach that message because you'll turn off voters and they won't want to vote for you. And lo and behold, most people now come to the conclusion, Samina, that had Bernie been the nominee in 2016, he'd have beat her. He would have beat Donald John Trump. And they hate that, the centrists right. do, because they don't want you to believe. This is my just interpretation. But Barack Obama essentially said anybody but Bernie with that quote about old white men. Right. Now, people say, well, it could apply to Joey Biden. Yeah, but no. you all know. No, it's he, about, you know no, it's about Bernie. About. All right, talk about the anti-Bernie bias. Yeah, and it's funny because people saw that quote, and like, and I saw a lot of you know white women in my social media feed like, oh, we love Barack so much. I'm like, you don't have any idea what the context is of that statement. It, it is not, it, you know, if, if, if Barack Obama was such a great feminist, you know, where was his vice president? <laughs> Where was his? I mean, like, come on, let's just get real. Let's like, let's look back. But yeah, we but that already was calculated. <laughs> yeah, we already we already got the like the there was like in the last month. Like, it's like it's hard to keep track of the days where it was very clear that if if Bernie started to look like he was surging, that Barack Obama would be the Bernie killer. Like that's his that's going to be his role in this. And I don't know. if There was a really great interview with Harry Reid in the last month, if I don't know if you caught it. Um, it's really, it's, I, I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it to you, but, um, and just talking about how all the candidates have come to talk to him, but it's very clear that that's what um, uh, that, that statement was about. But, and, and, I, and, I, and Bernie was, like you said, he was funny about it, he was, he was disarming. And yes, his, Bernie is the, the sort of the, the town crier. He's the guy who keeps saying the same thing and he's embarrassing them because they're, they're hypocrites. They're the ones who say that they believe in diversity and then they've got almost an, an entirely white you know, front runners. <laughs> they're the ones who say they believe in the environment and, and have Biden who doesn't, I mean, climate justice is like an oxymoron for him, doesn't get it. You know, they say that they're the party for black voters. Their front runner can't even answer answer a question about reparations. Bernie makes them look bad. Yeah. Of course they hate him. Latissa, I'll give you the final word. <laughs> Ditto. No. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been very critical of my party, so I, I'm okay with that. It, he Do you does. think there's a Bernie bias? There is absolutely a Bernie bias. Um, people like to say that you can't do things that are unrealistic and that's moving too fast and you're doing too much and you're promising too much. But again, he's been saying these same things for 50 years. So at what point do we say we'll do some of it, part of it, any bit of it? (laughs) Um, You know, that's not moving too fast. It's not shifting things in a way that is going to be so uh, dramatic when it happens that the world falls apart. So, yes, there is a bias because he's able to say, I've been consistent. And I don't think people want him to be able to say, I told you so either. You know, no one wants him to be successful. And it happens. And he's like, yeah, I told you I could be the one who beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And yes, I'm going to invest my first 100 days and all those the political capital I have in my first year or so to get these things done that I promised you. There is a bias. Right. And I want to just, there's something I heard, uh, I actually got to hear this woman, Rachel Bittekofer, who's a, she's a, um, she does, she's a, a pollster, she does, she does a lot of analysis, and she uh, called the House win uh, for the Democrats in 2018, and she was presenting her sort of, she was like predicting where things would land in 2020, and she was saying like, you know what, you, you progressives were right, we do need, and I'm a centrist, and I'm saying this, I'm admitting that you, you all were right, you you know, a more progressive agenda is going to generate that response. And, you know, you, you guys have been saying it for years and you were right. And, she, and she's like, she has the data. So like, don't, okay, if you don't want to hear from people who support Bernie or people who call themselves progressives, fine, don't. Talk to somebody who's kind of dispassionate and doing the analysis. And, and she's like, and she kept saying it. She's like, you guys are right, we are wrong. You know, the centrists are wrong. And so again, you know, <laughs> How many how many times do we need a centrist to lose to prove it? Yeah. All right. We're going to close down the show. Before I do, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to promote something or other that you want to promote. You want people to know about. We'll start with you, Samina. Uh, so, like I said, I started um, Hand Her the Mic. Um, we're going to have more episodes in, um, in January. I actually just interviewed a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Dr. Paru Shah, who um, actually studied uh, women and women of color running for the U.S. House. So I have an interview with her and also um, talked to one of the co-authors of a book on black women in Chicago called Lifting As They Climb. So that's coming up next month. And, uh, yeah, so always glad to be back and, and uh Hand her the mic, at hand her the mic um, on all social media. Got it. And Latissa? Well, I'm still doing my mommy thing. That's the most awesome thing. Spent most of the day with my <clears throat> two-year-old running around. So hence the cute little festive, <laughs> you know, um, holiday attire. It is a, a wonderful time of year. I am also going to relaunch a blog that I kind of took down a few years ago uh, called Sharing My Light. So we'll see how that turns out. I'll let you guys know when it's live again. All right. Very good. Latisa Wallace, Amina Mustafa. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you're very generous with your time coming on the show after every debate. There's one in January. So just keep the next day clean. All right. Just okay. keep the next day clear. I, I can't remember. I don't know when that debate is. Who knows how many people I've got a feeling Bloomberg will have figured out a way to get on that stage. Oh, uh, I don't know if Steyer, there may be substituting billionaires. We'll see. Uh, anyway, next time you're on the show, We'll play the Bernie bit. It's a great bit. All right, that's it for another Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.